What would you do if you lost the ability to earn a living for yourself and your family? It's a scary thought, one that insurance agents can use to promote disability policies that will pay if you're injured and you can't work. People who buy them do it for the peace of mind that it gives them. They might not feel so peaceful if they knew that some companies never intend to pay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I want to talk about another story from the world of true crime and then see where it intersects with our faith. Then I hope you'll join me to answer what I believe is every Christian's calling, and that's to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. We'll learn a practical way to do that after we dive into today's case and talk to a very, very fascinating guest. This is Season 3, Episode 39, and our book that we're going to talk about this week is Insult to Injury, Insurance, Fraud, and the Big Business of Bad Faith by Ray and Matthew Burris. And our guest is Christine Trimp, award-winning author, speaker, and health coach. She's going to walk us through her family's battle with a giant insurance company after her son's catastrophic motor vehicle accident. But first, I want to share the story of a journey that a woman named Joan Hangarter had to take. She bought a disability policy to keep her family safe from economic ruin in case she ever couldn't do her job. Little did she know that it wasn't the safe harbor she thought it would be. Joan was a successful chiropractor when she injured herself performing a difficult manipulation on a patient. Instead of healing over time, her injury worsened until her own doctors told her she'd be permanently disabled and unable to work as a chiropractor. She was devastated, of course. She loved her job, but she was grateful that she had bought an insurance policy to take care of her and her children just in case this happened. Her company, Paul Revere, began payments on her claim, and everything seemed to be going just the way it was supposed to be. That's until Paul Revere was bought out by Provident. They reevaluated her claim and decided that she wasn't eligible for any more payments. Did you know that insurers could do that? Because Joan couldn't treat patients, she'd been forced to sell her practice. And then the doctor who bought it from her defaulted after just a few payments. Joan lost everything and even had to go on welfare just to make sure that her kids would eat. But Joan was a fighter, and she found a lawyer, one of the authors of this week's book, and together they sued the insurance company. Now, he explained to her that that company would do whatever it took to fight her lawsuit. They'd say she was faking the severity of her own injuries. They'd have investigators follow her and document her every move. There are investigators out there that this is their primary type of practice. And I get that because there are people that cheat the system. And so that's what you're looking for. But here we had a system that was trying to cheat someone that had paid them for a service for protection that they then never got. He told her they would subpoena her tax records and grill her in a lengthy deposition. She said she didn't care. Joan didn't want them to get away with what they'd done to her and her family. Joan's attorney had a very common and very smart approach to cases like hers. They tried to settle whenever possible. And that may sound to you like it's admitting defeat before you even get started. But let me explain a little bit about actually going to trial in a civil case. It's expensive. It is very time consuming. It's stressful. And the process takes forever. 
you have to go through what's called discovery, where you're basically trying to get all the information you need to make your case, and so is the other side. Motions get filed, then dates get changed, hearings are held, hearings are postponed, decisions are appealed. Did I mention that this takes forever? It's just not always in the client's best interest. But the powers that be at the insurance company refuse to make even a reasonable settlement offer. I'm not going to bore you with all the details of the trial. And trust me, they are pretty boring. And some of them are very hyper-technical to the point that I'm not sure if I even followed it all myself, if I'm being honest. But in the end, the jury found for Joan. They decided that she was unable to perform her job as her doctors had said. They found that the insurance company should pay her the value of the past benefits that they denied in the amount of over $300,000. They found that the insurance company had acted in bad faith and should pay Joan future benefits as well in the amount of $1.2 million. And here's the absolutely amazing part. The jury found that the insurance company should pay for Joan's emotional damages to the tune of $4 million and pay Joan's attorney's fees. Even more amazing and unexpected was the jury's decision that the insurance company should pay $5 million in punitive damages. And although that sounds like that might have been the end of things, it wasn't. Joan wouldn't get any money until the process had completely run its course. The insurance company went on the offensive, filing appeals and granting interviews attacking the verdicts. But other media outlets put out stories that were favorable to Joan's point of view and even highlighted other cases where people had been left devastated when they didn't receive policy benefits that they believed they were entitled to. And if you're at all worried about the insurance company's ability to pay verdicts like these, don't be. They actually have insurance to cover that. Not even kidding. So the ones who are engaged in misconduct don't really have much incentive to change their ways, to be honest. And if you feel sorry for the CEO who was in charge of this mess because it caused him to lose his job, don't be. He got a multi-million dollar golden parachute to soften the blow. And then he even turned around and sued the company for breach of contract for firing him. The insurance company's appeals finally failed, and Joan eventually got all of the money that she'd been awarded. But do you know she was not the only person that that company had essentially defrauded? That's the crime we're talking about, that fraud on the part of a big corporation. So what happens to the people who are too disabled, too unsure of themselves, or too uninformed to stand up for themselves? Who fights for those people? This book is a very deep dive into the nature of the corporate insurance culture, the laws that protect the insurers at the expense of policyholders, so it does get a little dry at times. But I'm telling you, it is a fascinating look into what risks we all face when we don't know what we might be up against with our own insurance policies. And our guest today, she's been through her own ordeal with an insurance company. Christine Tramp is an author, speaker, and health coach. She's also a mom who thought that her family had a policy that would take care of them in the event that one of them needed intensive and ongoing medical treatment. And we'll hear her story right after this. I don't want you to miss out on any of the wisdom and the behind the scenes stories that my guests share with me. That's why I've created a members only area on my website. When you join, you'll have access to extra audio from my guests and other exclusive content that I made just for you. I've put links in the show notes for the monthly membership 
and yearly membership options. You can also find them when you visit my website, theunlovelytruth.com. Your support means so much to me and allows me to continue to help you, your family, and your community be safer. Now let's join today's guest, Christine Trim. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. I know this is not the uh, easiest topic to always talk about, so thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Thanks for having me, Lori. I'm delighted to encourage people in any way I can. When you and I have talked about your experience with the litigation with an insurance company, which is way different than any other kind of litigation, I think, (laughs) and it was really shocking to read in this week's book, in Joan's case, it really paralleled yours. So I wanted to ask you, what surprised you the most about what your family had to go through? Before we got into this journey, and and obviously not a lot of people walk through this, so there was nobody to really give me a, a step-by-step guideline, and I'm a type A person, so that would have been really helpful. But yeah, it's just very intense, and it was very shocking how much under their microscope we were going to be throughout this entire process. We're a family of believers and trustworthy people and like we have a story. So why would people not believe our story? I guess is one of the biggest shocking things. And if you had known all that and everything you were going to have to go through, would you have still proceeded with the litigation? I would probably say yes, because of the injuries that my son sustained in that car accident, uh, he's going to be impacted by those for life. So that was my greatest concern, is making sure that he gets the proper medical care that he needs. And when you began, I bet you didn't really realize the educational journey of how the legal system works (laughs) that you'd be getting, did you? Right. No, I have a degree in business and I didn't ever want to have any type of law degree. (laughs) But now I feel like I could probably go into a law firm and, you know, work as maybe a clerk or something. But yes, I have learned so much in this process. I think something else most people don't really realize about litigation is how long it takes. Yes. So from the start of when you commenced your litigation to now, And you're still not really done because there's appeals and all that good stuff. Yes. But from when you began to now, how long has it been? Let's see. We had the um, extra special cloud above us of COVID as well. So (laughs) that kind of dragged things out even a little bit longer, probably an extra year. But our lawsuit was filed in January of 2020. And we actually didn't go to trial until May 17th, 2022. And for all of you whose jaws are dropping, that's really not an outstandingly long time on average. So I've been told. (laughs) Yes, I've seen them take quite a bit longer. And, you know, you bring up COVID and Mm -hmm. I had that same issue with clients of mine, because another thing I hope people realize in case they find themselves in a similar situation, you have a certain amount of time in which to file your claim or you forfeit it. Correct. Yes. It, and in the state of Michigan, when you're in a car accident, you have up till three years, I believe, from the date of the accident to put your claim forward. Yes. And that doesn't seem like a very long time. But 
it's actually shorter in a lot of states. Mm. And so know what your statute is. Correct. Some states are as short as one year. Wow. And where I practice in Tennessee, yes, and we had the same thing. We had um, a negligence suit the clients needed to file, but we had to build our case first. You can't just willy-nilly file because opposing counsel is going to file a motion to dismiss if you don't have all your ducks in a row. Right. Right. And so, but you mentioned COVID. Yes. They didn't extend any of the statutes for that. You were still expected to file whether you could investigate and get your paperwork and find an attorney who wasn't down with COVID and could work on it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Our attorneys, it didn't, the COVID situation didn't really stop our attorneys in that process, but it slowed, really slowed things down in the court system. The attorney my my clients used got sick with COVID Mm. and everybody else in his office did too. So the office shut down while they were all recovering. Wow. So it was, it was rough. Yes. Now let's talk a little bit about your actual insurance policy, because I think for most of us, when we look at them, they look like they're written in Sanskrit. And so we just take it on faith, what they say. We don't really read the whole thing through. So what did you learn? about what we should be looking for in policies, what we should ask our agents about so that we know we have adequate coverage. Yeah, and so much of, has changed in the state of Michigan just during this time frame that we've been going through this journey. Uh, so definitely, I have learned that we need to know <laughs> what's in our policy. What are our benefits? I didn't even know that. And I had been with the same insurance company since my husband and I got married. So we were with for about 30 years and had the same agent all those years. And I guess I just had blindly had faith and blindly trusted in what would happen if somebody got seriously injured in an auto accident. And what I didn't know when my son was in his auto accident, you know, they they paid for the ER visit, they paid for the ambulance, they paid for the things on the date of the accident. Um, he missed work uh, for a week after the accident. But what I didn't know and what nobody told me, and I even went back and looked through some of the emails that I had received at the time, but I didn't know that we were eligible for household replacement services. He was eligible for Um, attendant care if he needed it. He was eligible for medical mileage. I didn't submit any medical mileage for, you know, the appointments I had to take him to. So there were things that I wasn't even aware of that were in the policy because nobody in my family has ever been in any type of auto accident. So I, I didn't have anybody with any kind of experience to say, make sure you do this, 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 and this. So those are maybe some good questions to ask your agent if you're listening to this right now. In hindsight, I wish I would have known, obviously, so much more because we could have we could have gotten things taken care of a lot sooner than we did. You bring up kind of another side point. I think a lot of us would assume that part of our agent's job when there is an accident is to explain to us everything that's available to us. But really, they're salespeople. Yes. Yes. The agency really never, you just go straight to the claims department and, you know, is a very large company. So they have a claims department put in place. And, you know, I reported the accident to my agency and then they put me in touch with the claims departments. 
And then when you call the claims department, you just get a random claims adjuster. I mean, it seemed so random at the time. Yeah, you don't have a dedicated one, do you? Uh, well, we did. Yeah, we did. But uh, they come and go, too. So that's another issue. And how important is it for you to keep your own records and not rely on the insurance company to do that for you? Oh, definitely. You have to keep your own records. I Because they repeatedly asked me for the same things that I had already sent them. For example, Kyle's work history. At one time, I had a conversation with the claims adjuster, and she said, well, you told me he hasn't worked since the date of the accident. And I said, I never told you that. I, in fact, I sent you a complete outline of his work history on paper in a letter. And they continually asked me for that. And then they would continually ask me for the notes from his doctor's appointments. And I'm like, I've already sent those to you. So it's super frustrating dealing with a claims uh, adjusting department, to say the least. Did you keep any kind of log? I had to call you on this day and I had to tell you this and I had to resend something that you already should have had. Yes, I followed up. If I had any type of telephone communication with them, I followed up with an email. So and I don't delete anything. So I have (laughs) kept all my records that way. Also, I set up a separate folder in my computer to slide documents and things like that into the into the folder so that I could keep track of everything. Yes. Very smart. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, you always look back on, and this was a project management task, if ever there was one. Is there anything you would do a little bit differently or anything that you said to yourself, oh gosh, I should have kept track of this or done that? I actually surprisingly kept pretty good track of everything, Lori. I was even able to put my hands on the scrap piece of paper that I wrote down all of the information for my initial call to the insurance company. I've got like chicken scratch all over this paper, like the claim number, the claim number for the driver of the vehicle, the the insurance company of the vehicle that hit him. You know, I had I could not believe I found that. So <laughs> but that's just my personality is to not throw everything away. I kind of I had shoved that stuff into a folder and and I found it. But in hindsight, I would go back to wishing I would have asked my agent the questions of, so Kyle's been in an accident. What what uh, recourse do we have? What benefits are available to him? I didn't ask any of those things because when I called, I just expected them to know what they were doing. It's important, I think, for everybody to remember Insurance companies are just not these benevolent organizations that exist to help people in their time of need. They exist to make money. And they don't make money, they don't really make much money off of premiums. It's taking all those premiums and investing them. And so the more money they can keep their hands on to invest, the more they have to return a profit to their shareholders. And yes, they have shareholders. And so that's who they're beholden to. And that's who they're looking out for, not necessarily you. Exactly. I never felt like, I felt like we were victims the entire time. Uh, Victims to a policy that we had paid our premiums for on time every month for 30 years. And I love how you said they're not a benevolent company. That is absolutely true. (laughs) They're a $100 billion company. A lot of insurance companies are 
billion dollar companies. So yes, you're absolutely right, Lori. And like everything else, there's politics involved. They will lobby, you know, they have big organizations, all of the insurance companies together, put together these lobbying organizations, and they will also contribute to political campaigns so that they can have laws that help them do things the way they want to do to increase their bottom line. Yes. And in Michigan, we just had insurance reform that went into effect in stages like started in 2020, went into more effect in 2021. And yeah, those laws are written to protect the insurance companies for sure. Yeah, they're not consumer protection. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. You're a woman with a very strong faith in God. Yes. How how did everything that you went through, um, your son went through, the rest of your family went through, how did that affect your faith? I am so grateful. A little bit of my story is that I went on my own healing, health and healing journey before, like six months before my son's car accident. And I feel like if I hadn't, if God hadn't put me in that season and in that place, by the time my son's car accident came around and then all of the health issues that he's experienced since his car accident, I feel like God healed me on a purpose so that I could be there to care for him and take care of him. And of course, I have a lot of questions about the injustice of it all. But when I really sit down and talk with the Lord over this situation and the injustice that I feel like we're, we've been experiencing, I'm, I'm always brought back to the place in my faith that it's just my job to trust God and God's job is the outcome. And yeah, I have a lot of questions like what, how did some of this go so wrong? Uh, But I'm not going to know the answer to that until I get to the other side of heaven. But I just have to trust that God is going to use this difficult season of hardship, not only for me and what I've been managing and, and doing the, like the caregiving and all of that stuff in my, my faith-based journey, but I believe that God's going to reveal something big in my son's own faith based journey too. So I, despite having questions and doubts, sometimes I read God's word every single morning. And that's truly the only thing that has helped me get through this. So it has actually, before going into this, I didn't have any reason not to trust God for things. And now it's like really, truly strengthened my trust in God. And um, I believe that's a good thing. And so even though things didn't and aren't turning out the way we expected for my son's care, uh, I know that God has a good plan and a good purpose for all of this. I love how you said, as you wrestled with your doubts, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes we we feel a Christian guilt if we admit that we have doubts. Yes. So, you know, have have you been able to kind of speak into other people's lives that are struggling with something and say, hey, it's okay to struggle. That doesn't mean you don't trust God. It just means you're human. Yes, exactly. Sometime uh, during 2019, 2020 period, I went through a long Bible study series on the book of Psalms. And through that study, I really learned uh, about the lament and, you know, how it's okay to go to God with those concerns and with those, those, you know, sad, sad situations and 
And so I have been able to encourage people and and remind people that it is okay to lament and that God does want to hear, you know, our he he will carry our tears and he will help us through those situations. And so I I feel blessed that I have been able to experience these this hard season because you know God's called me to be a speaker and a writer and without this experience uh, when he called me into ministry, I was at the top of a mountaintop after going through a healing journey myself and reaching a massive weight loss victory. And and then the car accident happened and the fallout from the car accident happened. And so I really had to learn how to carry joy and sorrow at the same time. And, you know, all for God's glory. All The story is all for his glory. And so hopefully that will encourage many people to know that we are going to have difficult seasons. God's never promised us, you know, rainbows and sunshine every day. In fact, we're going to face many storms in life. This morning, I was even writing in my journal, like, just continue to reshape me and continue to refine me, Lord, and use the story for whatever purpose you have. We've lost that practice of lamenting, mm. I think. We, we want the constant mountaintop experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amazing that you've been able to use what most people would think they want to avoid. I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to feel the sadness. But you've used that to lead yourself back to a joyful spot. Yes. Yeah. And, and praise God, like his word. I don't know how I would do it without being in his word first thing every every morning. That is truly what has sustained me and has given me, you know, hope each day and and has increased my faith and increased my trust and increased my joy. So and increased my confidence in where God is taking all of this. You mentioned that you are a writer and a speaker. So let us all know where we can connect with you online if we want to check out some of your resources or book you as a speaker. Okay. Uh, I do have a website. It's my name, christinetrimp.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And then it's Trimp, T as in Tom, R-I-M as in Mary, P as in Paul, E. It's Trimp, rhymes with shrimp. That's an easy way to remember it, but it <laughs> does have an E on the end of it. So it makes it kind of tricky. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fall now. I'm getting ready to relaunch the Christmas devotional that I wrote and super excited about that. Can I share one thing about the devotional? Sure. Okay. So this is all part of the story of the litigation that I think God is going to use or has used in a good way and, you know, to his glory. Uh, In litigation, the lawyers were very they wanted to make this all about me. So they had me under surveillance too. Not only did they have my son under surveillance, but they had me under surveillance. And they looked through all of my social media for like the past five years, uh, which freaked out my attorneys a lot, but it didn't freak me out at all because there's nothing in my social media that I'm ashamed of or was trying to hide anything or causing trouble or anything like that. But they did discover that I wrote a book and the attorney actually had to read my book as part of <laughs> part of digging for dirt on me, right? And awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so she actually put up the cover of my book in front of the jury and in front of the judge. She put up the picture of it. And she wanted to know if there was a book in my brain about the lawsuit. Because I had written on a page in my book... Um, 
actually, I'm just going to read it because I don't want to, I don't want to misquote it, but on page 109, I wrote, my son and I have been on an unexpected journey the past few years. Someday I'll be able to share more with you. There's a book in my brain, dot, 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 is kind of where she was going with this. And she's like, what's this book in your brain? Is it about the lawsuit? And and she's so misunderstood. She must, She doesn't know me. She doesn't know my heart. I don't have any plan to write a book about a lawsuit because that just like, that there's no joy in that if you ask me. <laughs> but what I do want to write about is how to carry joy and sorrow in the same hand and how, you know, to, you can use these hardships and these difficult seasons of life to grow in, in the Lord. And so if I had the chance to say this on the stand, which I did not because they only let you say yes or no, or they cut you off, like they don't want you going off on a tangent and trying to convince the jury of things they don't want them to hear. But I just come back to like, if I wrote this book for the sole purpose of a defense attorney having to read my book, which she did tell me she read the whole thing and she told me it was really good. And <laughs> like, okay, if that's the entire reason why I, I wrote this book, Lord, then so be it, you know? And if that's the entire reason we went through this litigation and I had to sit on a stand in front of a jury and a judge, then so be it, you know? So that's my that's my fun little story about, you know, the social media and the, maybe that's the purpose that, that I'm talking to you right now about this too. And hopefully to encourage your listeners that God has a plan in all of this. If you're involved in litigation, just trust and pray and, and stay close and connected to God. And yes, we can find you on social media. I will tell you that as an investigator. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, we do look. So yeah. watch what you're putting up. Mm-hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again, Christine. I love the idea of this maybe next book, holding joy and sorrow together. Yes. Um, that sounds amazing to me. So everybody, there are links in the show notes. So you can find Christine and find her resources. I really encourage you to connect with her. And I just wish you nothing but the best for your upcoming projects. Okay. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. I want to look at some passages from Leviticus, which I know most of us probably have never made it through Leviticus. It gets a little dry. They're talking about lots of rules, lots of laws. And in chapter 19, I think it's funny because in the translation I'm reading, it's titled Various Laws. And it talks about really good things to live by about not making idols, not stealing, don't lie, don't defraud or rob your neighbor, don't hold back wages from workers when they've earned them. And verse 14, I think, is especially relative to what we're talking about today. And from the NIV, it says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. And we certainly didn't talk about anybody that was deaf or blind in today's story, but just that idea of someone that has a physical limitation now, like Joan did. She wasn't able to work, and she had taken appropriate steps so that if that happened, she would still be financially able to take care of herself and take care of her family. And I'm going to say that that corporation, that insurance company, they put so many stumbling blocks in front of her as she was just trying to do what any good mom, what any responsible adult does, and they did it out of greed. So for our practical action step this week, 
I just want each of us to look out and see if someone in our circle of influence is struggling with a big overwhelming medical issue, whether it's an illness or an accident. They're going to have so much to do to deal with insurance companies, with doctor's offices, and all kinds of things. So just tell them that you're there for them to whatever extent they're comfortable sharing information or letting you look at things. And even if all you can do is be a moral support and be someone that calls them regularly to tell them that everything's going to be okay, any one of us can do that. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I have had so many amazing guests. You don't want to miss the fantastic information that they shared. You can also help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact. When you share this episode, when you subscribe to it, or go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.